Section 46 of Grey's Anatomy, Part 1 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 1, by Henry Grey The Female, Part 2 The Inner Architecture of the Upper Female the spongy bone of the upper femur, to the lower limit of the lesser trochanter, is composed of two distinct systems of trabeculi arranged in curved paths, one which has its origin in the medial inner side of the shaft, and curving upward in a fan-like radiation to the opposite side of the bone, the other having origin in the lateral outer portion of the shaft, and arching upward and medially to end in the upper surface of the greater trochanter, neck and head. These two systems intersect each other at right angles. A medial compressive system of trabeculi. As the compact bone of the medial inner part of the shaft nears the head of the femur, it gradually becomes thinner and finally reaches the articular surface of the head as a very thin layer. From a point at about the lower level of the lesser trochanter, two and a half to three inches from the lower limit of the articular surface of the head, the trabeculi branch off from the shaft in smooth curves, spreading radially to cross to the opposite side in two well-defined groups, a lower or secondary group, and an upper or principal group. A. The secondary compressive group. This group of trabeculi leaves the inner border of the shaft beginning at about the level of the lesser trochanter, and for a distance of almost two inches along the curving shaft, with which the separate trabeculi make an angle of about forty-five degrees. They curve outwardly and upwardly to cross in radiating smooth curves to the opposite side. The lower filaments end in the region of the greater trochanter. The adjacent filaments above these pursue a more nearly vertical course and end in the upper portion of the neck of the femur. The trabeculi of this group are thin and with wide spaces between them. As they traverse the space between the medial and lateral surfaces of the bone, they cross at right angles the system of curved trabeculi which arise from the lateral outer portion of the shaft. B. The principal compressive group. This group of trabeculi springs from the medial portion of the shaft just above the group above described, and spreads upward and in slightly radial smooth curved lines to reach the upper portion of the articular surface of the head of the femur. These trabeculi are placed very closely together, and are the thickest ones seen in the upper femur. They are a prolongation of the shaft from which they spring in straight lines which gradually curve to meet at right angles the articular surface. There is no change as they cross the epiphyseal line. They also intersect at right angles the system of lines which rise from the lateral side of the femur. This system of principal and secondary compressive trabeculi corresponds in position and in curvature with the lines of maximum compressive stress which were traced out in the mathematical analysis of this portion of the female. b. Lateral tensile system of trabeculi. As the compact bone of the outer portion of the shaft approaches the greater trochanter, it gradually decreases in thickness. Beginning at a point about one inch below the level of the lower portion of the greater trochanter, numerous thin trabeculi are given off from the outer portion of the shaft. These trabeculi lie in three distinct groups. c the greater trochanter group. These trabeculi rise from the outer part of the shaft just below the greater trochanter and rise in thin curving lines to cross the region of the greater trochanter and end in its upper surface. 
some of these filaments are poorly defined. This group intersects the trabeculi of group A, which rise from the opposite side. The trabeculi of this group evidently carry small stresses, as is shown by their slenderness. D. The principal tensile group. This group springs from the outer part of the shaft immediately below group C and curves convexly upward and inward in nearly parallel lines across the neck of the femur and ends in the inferior portion of the head. These trabeculi are somewhat thinner and more widely spaced than those of the principal compressive group, B. All the trabeculi of this group cross those of groups A and B at right angles. This group is the most important of the lateral system, tensile, and, as will be shown later, the greatest tensile stresses of the upper femur are carried by the trabeculi of this group. E. The secondary tensile group. This group consists of the trabeculi which spring from the outer side of the shaft and lie below those of the preceding group. They curve upward and medially across the axis of the femur and end more or less irregularly after crossing the midline. But a number of these filaments end in the medial portion of the shaft and neck. They cross at right angles the trabeculi of group A. In general, the trabeculi of the tensile system are lighter in structure than those of the compressive system in corresponding positions. The significance of the difference in thickness of these two systems is that the thickness of the trabeculi varies with the intensity of the stresses at any given point. Comparison of figure 247 with figure 251 will show that the trabeculi of the compressive system carry heavier stresses than those of the tensile system in corresponding positions. For example, the maximum tensile stress at section 8 in the outermost fibre is 771 pounds per square inch, and at the corresponding point on the compressive side the compressive stress is 954 pounds per square inch. Similar comparisons may be made at other points, which confirm the conclusion that the thickness and closeness of spacing of the, the trabeculi varies in proportion to the intensity of the stresses carried by them. It will be seen that the trabeculi lie exactly in the paths of the maximum tensile and compressive stresses, and hence these trabeculi carry these stresses in the most economical manner. This is in accordance with the well-recognized principle of mechanics that the most direct manner of transmitting stress is in the direction in which the stress acts. Figure 249 shows a longitudinal frontal section through the left femur, which is the mate of the right femur on which the mathematical analysis was made. In this midsection, the system of tensile trabeculi, which rises from the lateral, outer part of the shaft, and crosses over the central area to end in the medial portion of the shaft, neck and head, is clearly shown. This figure also shows the compressive system of trabeculi, which rises on the medial portion of the shaft and crosses the central area to end in the head, neck and greater trochanter. By comparing the position of these two systems of trabeculi shown in figure 249 with the lines of maximum and minimum stresses shown in figures 248 and 250, it is seen that the tensile system of trabeculi corresponds exactly with the position of the lines of maximum and minimum tensile stresses, which were determined by mathematical analysis. In a similar manner, the compressive system of trabeculi in figure 249 corresponds exactly with the lines of maximum and minimum compressive stresses computed by the mathematical analysis. The amount of vertical shear varies almost uniformly from a maximum of 90 pounds, 90% of the load on the femur head, midway between sections 4 and 6, to a minimum of 5.7 pounds at section 18. There is a gradual diminution of the spongy bone from section 6 to section 18, parallel with the diminished intensities of the vertical shear. 
the trabeculi of the upper femur as shown in frontal sections are arranged in two general systems compressive and tensile which correspond in position with the lines of maximum and minimum stresses in the femur determined by the mathematical analysis of the femur as a mechanical structure two the thickness and spacing of the trabeculi vary with the intensity of the maximum stresses at various points in the upper femur being thickest and most closely spaced in the regions where the greatest stresses occur three the amount of bony material in the spongy bone of the upper femur varies in proportion to the intensity of the shearing force at the various sections. 4. The arrangement of the trabeculi in the positions of maximum stresses is such that the greatest strength is secured with a minimum of material. Significance of the inner architecture of the shaft. 1. Economy for resisting shear. The shearing stresses are at a minimum in the shaft. It is clear that a minimum amount of material will be required to resist the shearing stresses. As horizontal and vertical shearing stresses are most efficiently resisted by material placed near the neutral plane, in this region a minimum amount of material will be needed near the neutral axis. In the shaft there is very little if any material in the central space, practically the only material near the neutral plane being in the compact bone, but lying at a distance from the neutral axis. This confirms the requirement of mechanics for economy, as a minimum of material is provided for resisting shearing stresses where these stresses are a minimum. 2. Economy for resisting bending moment. The bending moment increases from a minimum at section 4 to a maximum between sections 16 and 18, then gradually decreases almost uniformly to zero near section 75. To resist bending moment stresses most effectively, the material should be as far from the neutral axis as possible. It is evident that the hollow shaft of the femur is an efficient structure for resisting bending moment stresses, all of the material in the shaft being relatively at a considerable distance from the neutral axis. It is evident that the hollow shaft provides efficiently for resisting bending moment, not only due to the load on the femur head, but from any other loads tending to produce bending in other planes. Three. Economy for resisting axial stress. The inner architecture of the shaft is adapted to resist in the most efficient manner the combined action of the minimal shearing forces and the axial and maximum bending stresses. The structure of the shaft is such as to secure great strength with a relatively small amount of material. The distal portion of the femur. In frontal section, in the distal six inches of the femur, there are to be seen two main systems of trabeculi a longitudinal and a transverse system. The trabeculi of the former rise from the inner wall of the shaft and continue in perfectly straight lines parallel to the axis of the shaft and proceed to the epiphyseal line, whence they continue in more or less curved lines to meet the articular surface of the knee joint at right angles at every point. Near the centre there are a few thin, delicate, longitudinal trabeculi which spring from the longitudinal trabeculi just described to which they are joined by fine transverse filaments that lie in planes parallel to the sagittal plane. The trabeculi of the transverse system are somewhat lighter in structure than those of the longitudinal system, and consist of numerous trabeculi at right angles to the latter. As the distal end of the femur is approached, the shaft gradually becomes thinner until the articular surface is reached, where there remains only a thin shell of compact bone. With the gradual thinning of the compact bone of the shaft, there is a simultaneous increase in the amount of the spongy bone, and a gradual flaring of the femur which gives this portion of the bone a gradually increasing gross area of cross-section. 
there is a marked thickening of the shell of bone in the region of the intercondyloid fossa, where the anterior and posterior crucial ligaments are attached. The thickened area is about 0.4 inch in diameter and consists of compact bone from which a number of thick trabeculi pass at right angles to the main longitudinal system. The inner structure of the bone is here evidently adapted to the efficient distribution of the stresses arising from this ligamentary attachment. Near the distal end of the femur, the longitudinal trabeculi gradually assume curved paths and end perpendicularly to the articular surface at every point. Such a structure is in accordance with the principles of mechanics, as stresses can be communicated through a frictionless joint only in a direction perpendicular to the joint surface at every point. With practically no increase in the amount of bony material used, there is a greatly increased stability produced by the expansion of the lower femur from a hollow shaft of compact bone to a structure of much larger cross-section almost entirely composed of spongy bone. Significance of the inner architecture of the distal part of the femur The function of the lower end of the femur is to transmit through a hinged joint the loads carried by the femur. For stability, the width of the bearing on which the hinge action occurs should be relatively large. For economy of material, the expansion of the end bearing should be as lightly constructed as is consistent with proper strength. In accordance with the principles of mechanics, the most efficient manner in which stresses are transmitted is by the arrangement of the resisting material in lines parallel to the direction in which the stresses occur, and in the paths taken by the stresses. Theoretically, the most efficient manner to attain these objects would be to prolong the innermost filaments of the bone as straight lines parallel to the longitudinal axis of the bone, and gradually to flare the outer shell of compact bone outward and continuing to give off filaments of bone parallel to the longitudinal axis as the distal end of the femur is approached. These filaments should be well braced transversely, and each should carry its proportionate part of the total load parallel to the longitudinal axis, transmitting it eventually to the articular surface and in a direction perpendicular to that surface. Referring to figure 249, it is seen that the large expansion of the bone is produced by the gradual transition of the hollow shaft of compact bone to cancellated bone, resulting in the production of a much larger volume. The trabeculi are given off from the shaft in lines parallel to the longitudinal axis, and are braced transversely by two series of trabeculi at right angles to each other, in the same manner as required theoretically for economy. Although the action of the muscles exerts an appreciable effect on the stresses in the femur, it is relatively small and very complex to analyse, and has not been considered in the above analysis. Ossification The femur is ossified from five centres, one for the body, one for the head, one for each trochanter, and one for the lower extremity. Of all the long bones except the clavicle, it is the first to show traces of ossification. This commences in the middle of the body at about the seventh week of fetal life, and rapidly extends upward and downward. The centres in the epiphyses appear in the following order. In the lower end of the bone, at the ninth month of fetal life, from this centre the condyles and epicondyles are formed, in the head. At the end of the first year after birth, in the greater trochanter, during the fourth year, and in the lesser trochanter between the thirteenth and fourteenth years. The order in which the epiphyses are joined to the body is the reverse of that of their appearance. They are not united until after puberty, the lesser trochanter being first joined, then the greater, then the head, 
and lastly the inferior extremity, which is not united until the twentieth year. End of section number 46